You're listening to the dollop. There we go. This is a bi-weekly American history podcast. Each week, I Shewer. What? Man of Oh no. Mountains. What? Man of mountains. And clock. Watcher Dave Anthony reads a story from American history to his friend Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. (laughs) (laughs) Do people not get it yet? They don't get it yet. You can end sentences and prepositions. However you want, baby. You can end sentences. There is no rule that says you can't end a sentence and a preposition. It's all in your head. Yeah, it's It's not an actual rule. Yeah. It's not real, people! Yeah. It's not real! All right. I, are you doing Seinfeld? I'm loving it. What's the deal? With, it's not real! What's the deal with prepositions? Prepositions. Are they preppy or are they zitions? It's like a frat boy met a proposition. Preposition. <laughs> Uh, do you want to look at a dude? I'll do one buck. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Gera. Is Dave okay? Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakie of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. December 16th! 1896. Okay. Vincent Hallinan. Do you look at me there to see like if I have any idea who that is? It's just dramatic pause. Okay. Oh, you have no idea who this guy is. Okay, yeah. You're, no, come on. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> we could say it for most people, but... I mean, you yeah. have no fucking... No okay. clue. You, you can I relax. have no idea who this guy is. Nothing, all just right. nothing okay. at all. Like you have absolutely no. Dave, shut up. I mean, there's no fucking Dave, way. Dave, shut up. And like, how could you? Dave. He was born in San Francisco to a large Irish Catholic family. Okay. He was the third of seven kids. All right. His father, Patrick, was an Irish immigrant who had been a member of the Invincibles. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Not the soccer team. Uh, no, a no. Violent splinter group. Oh, of I'm the, thinking of the Incredibles. Oh, you're thinking of the movie? Yeah. Although I think it's based on a book. That's a cartoon. I think it's based on a book. Okay. Uh, They were a splinter group, uh, a violent splinter group of the Irish Republican Brotherhood. So they were the people who would torture people by putting splinters in them. The Invincibles were... People always think... They always write, like, I can't believe you missed that joke. No, I heard it. Well, I don't think that's one to... That's not one to highlight. (laughs) You miss bangers. No, I heard it. The Invincibles were assassins who targeted authorities. Patrick was said to have left Ireland because he helped kill a rent collector who worked for a notorious landlord. Okay. So that's why the family gets out of Ireland. Because Patrick killed... His dad killed... A rent collector. A rent collector. That's, that's how you get free rent. Yeah. That's the way you do it. That's exactly how you get free Just rent. Just kill the guy. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to go killing you. The family lived in San Francisco until the 1906 earthquake. <clears throat> After the earthquake, there's a bunch of inflation, and Patrick could no longer uh, afford rent with his cable car operator job. <laughs> well, I would hate to be the guy who's going to knock on that door. Right? Yeah. 
So, uh, you're behind. Uh, why am I being stabbed? Oh, yeah, I got it right here. Um, Patrick asked a prominent lawyer. Oh, so he stops paying rent. They get, a, they get an eviction notice. Patrick asks a prominent lawyer named Charles Hegarty for help. Hegarty was a regular writer on Patrick's cable car. <laughs> What? Wait, it was just a different time. This is how networking went. I guess that's what. I guess it's where you like met a guy like you would know everyone on the cable car, right? Every day, he's like, hey Patrick, hey, hey Haggerty, how you doing? Hey, hey. we got it. I mean, that would be a great. That would have been like a great pitch back then. You'd be like, all right, so this is a show about a bunch of people who the only time their lives cross over is the cable car. Right. You know how you're always seeing your friend on the cable yeah. car. You make all your cable car yeah. friends. I mean, I met my wife on the goddamn cable right? car. Yeah, so this show is about everyone on the cable car. I met my son on a cable car. Exactly. Exactly. And we have a great title for it. Yeah. People meeting as their paths cross. What's this on? Because we don't have radio yet. I'm just writing. I'm just drawing pictures. Okay. It's not going well. I know. I like it. Yeah. All right. It's a good pitch. But yeah, by the I mean, way, what's I a just, pitch? But what's a pitch? By the way, I'm just a shoeshine but man. I know, but if I can, I are you interested? Yeah. So I would say I have an overall with you. Sure. I first don't, look. Yep. Blind script. I can be the first. I don't know what. Now I don't know what happened. I'm a, I make I I make shoe shinier. Great. That's great. Okay. Perfect. So we got a deal. Yes. My guy will call you your guy. All right. I love to do it. People pay people lunch. So he asks this guy on the cable car to represent him, and Patrick, and he tells Patrick he'll do it free charge. He's like, "I got this, Patrick. You you drive me every morning." Okay. So the lawyer's so good that he got all the rent that they hadn't paid wiped out, and the landlord had to pay the family a settlement. Oh God! So that's how good the fucking lawyer was. Okay. And right then, nine-year-old Vincent Hallinan decided oh, no. he was going to be a lawyer. Oh boy. Oh, dear. He was obsessed with becoming an attorney. Sure. His law career kicked off at 19. Okay. He took law classes in the day at what is now San Francisco University. And at night, he attended more informal lectures at a nearby adult school. One day, he just barged into the offices of a well-known lawyer named Daniel Ryan and asked for a job. Okay. Did he know him from the cable car? No, I think this is just a guy. I think you either met someone on the cable car or, or you, you just barged, barged in. into their office. I'm not sure which play I'm going to go with. I think I'm going to do a barging. Are you doing a barge? I'm going to barge. Barges are great. I'm going to barge. It's, it's I mean, like, I've been cable I, car for two months and I things know. are slow. I know. So I, I barged two or three last week and I have a couple that yeah. I, might pan out. That's great. Yeah. No, I killed the landlord too. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. So it's either I'm either barging, I'm cable car, or I'm stabbing. That's and, great. Uh, yeah, it's great. It, things are good. That's great. All right. I have I have tuberculosis. See you later. I have tuberculosis. See you later, man. Okay. It's not about you. Um, so this guy just gives him a job. And after a few weeks of clerical work, Ryan had Vincent trying cases. Okay. So just jump into it, man. Okay. Now, this is back is when... Is that how law works? Is it, is well, it like is, a, a, a God-given gift? I feel well, like this you is want when you to... just had to be like, I can talk your pants off. Like right. that, that was... Right, okay. There were no rules. Just about anybody could be a lawyer at this point. Okay. Right. So at this point, judges ran the tests for the bar, and they were not strict at all. Like if you knew a guy... Oh, okay. Some lawyers had never filed a brief or been in a courtroom. 
Sure. And then they and then That's they fun. It's kind of like a fantasy camp. Yeah. And they would just win their cases by bribing cops. Okay. I'm not seeing a lot of law practicing. <laughs> Vincent started with small crimes in police courts, and he kept winning. And then he started being able to support his family while he was going to school. And then in 1919, the California Bar Association took over licensing. And they made the bar much harder and required everyone to pass it. So people have got a retake. Yeah. Now okay. everything changed. Uh, the, this was basically to trim, like, ambulance chase attorneys, and then would also it also just happened to result in uh, big, rich firms having monopolies. Just coincidentally, that happened. Sure. That's not a, a, a cause, right? No, Couldn't no. Cause and effect. Yeah. Right. So Vincent took uh, the test when he was 22, and he passed on his first try and graduated from law school two years later. Okay. So he just picked it. I mean, he is... He became a lawyer, and then he went to school for being a lawyer. <laughs> right. That's how it works, right? I know that's how surgeons do it. That's what they should do with, like, EMTs. Yeah. Just throw guys in it. And you just learn, you learn on the fly on this one, boys. Yeah. All right. We do a lot of tracheotomies because we're not sure. We go trach most times. He's got a broken leg. And tracheotomy. Tracheotomy. Get his... Get his Get his throat or whatever it's called open. Asa, 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 Oh, boy. C-O-N-N, so it's not a t- really terrible name, but his son, uh, Khan, still. later said, quote, he didn't try cases, he waged war. Vincent believed his duty was to do anything and everything for a client. Okay. Now, Vincent became known for punching other lawyers. Wow, so he's... Or as he liked to call it, settling out of court. Oh, well, it's weird, because I was like, I don't like that move, and then I hear what it's labeled as, and I'm like, I love the move. I'm in. I love the move. Yeah. Well, I think we might have to settle out of court. (laughs) What do you mean? See you outside for a shit kicking. Uh, He was a championship boxer in college, and if he got mad enough in court, he'd surprise the opposing attorney with a shot to the face. Wow. How does that go over? I don't think it went over well, but I also feel like... This is such a crazy, rough and tumble time that people that it's just kind of like, yeah, that's how. Right, you can punch a guy in court. Yeah. back then, sure. Like, it's like, yeah, well, Larry was. By the way, should still up. be that way. Yeah, I agree. I would. I think that's cool. Uh, my dad would get punched so much. Who would? My dad. Was your dad a lawyer? Oh, yeah, it's not good. Oh boy. So uh, I, I understand he passed the bar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He, rec- he was recorded to be in at least 28 courtroom fights. Okay. And won all but one of them. So they do... They, well, here's what I find shocking. That they, that they have winners and losers? Yep. <laughs> that there's a record. <laughs> one draw. <laughs> I'm sure You're the judge... the attorney! I'm sure the judge is like, bang, bang, that one went to Patrick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Coming in at this table, weighing 280 pounds... <laughs> You know him. You love him. He became a lawyer, then he passed the bar. Patrick. Hey. Weight of justice. Whatever your last name was. Oh, my name's actually Vince. Oh, shit. I was thinking of your dad. Yep, Let's that's take it right. from the top. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> um, 
So the only fight he lost was, uh, was when he took on a young corporate lawyer named Paul Dana. And Dana, unbeknownst to Vincent, was a former professional boxer. So are they just starting to like beef up their law firm teams with just these kind of hulkish men who are I just sort of like... Uh, yeah, I don't know what it is, but if he steps out of line, then it's my time to we'll settle fucking court. hit him! I we might have no, to you're out of order! The whole system's out of order. I think we got to settle out of court. Yeah, I mean, it just sounds like... each You had to. You had to hire, like, some lunatic. You got to hire the muscle. Yeah. So they argued in the hall while the jury was deliberating, and then Vincent just threw him a surprise left hook, just out of nowhere. Just okay. gave the old... Sucker punch. Sucker punch. And he sent Dana sprawling to the ground. And then Dana's fellow attorneys came over and helped him up. And Vincent just assumed the fight was over. And so he's relaxed. And then Dana just fucking smashed him with a right. Okay. Vincent said, quote, that's when I saw three Danas in front of me. And I figured the real one was probably in the middle. And I rushed it. Unfortunately, the middle figure, middle figure could punch good enough without the help from the other two. Okay. He knows what really happened, though, right? I don't know. Okay. Vincent's first real uh, legal battle wasn't in San Francisco. It was in a tiny Central Valley town called Hanford. Jenny Brown was a foster mother who put her kids to work on her ranch. And Lee Camp was one of the foster kids, but now he'd grown up, but he still worked there. And then one day he died when he fell from a tall building. What got him? From the... What killed him? Yeah. I think he had pneumonia. The coroner ruled it an accidental death, and Jenny Brown was visibly, how the, how was visibly cor- distraught. How was the coroner uh, allowed to make that call? That's the coroner's job. The, uh, but uh, an accidental fall? Isn't yeah, the coroner just I body, mean, in body analysis? I mean, the, the, the coroner, yeah, I don't know. I can tell by the uh, clenched fists. He didn't see this one coming. The way, the way his he ha- was a little calm. The way his hands are full of the shrapnel from the roof. You know how his uh, face uh, looks like a melon someone smashed? Uh, I didn't mean this one. It's an accident. Yeah, I'm going to rule it an accident. But then it came out that Camp had $80,000 in savings and several life insurance policies, uh-huh. all of which went to Jenny Brown. Uh-huh. So rumors started swirling. Which Did you say swirling? A swirling. Like I said a swirling. Which leads to the insurance company stopping payment on the claim and hiring a detective. Okay. So shit's getting fucking real. Okay. Uh, Police reopened the case. And then after uh, a grand jury, it started a grand jury investigation. Everyone who lived and worked at the ranch was indicted for murder. Wow. Okay. I think it's just four people, though. Okay. Anyway, Vincent... Makes it sound like a lot more. Vincent wasn't sure if he wanted to take the case until he heard local law enforcement had led a detective working for the insurance company call all the shots. So now he's like, oh, I he want doesn't it. Like it. He, he doesn't like it. He wants to that. settle out of court. doesn't like that shit. Um, Vincent, Vincent represented one of the guys, uh, Johnny Tipton, and the other defendants had their own attorneys who were all older... Country guys from around there. They I would uh, like to uh, answer your question with a question of my own. <laughs> the guys with the kerchief always on the neck. Uh, there's just a, two more things, and I want to thank you again for making the trip down here today. Well, I am parched. Can I have some lemonade? Uh, I have another glass of that delicious homemade lemonade your wife Lucille blessed us all with today in the court. In the court room. Um, so... Most of those guys didn't know the details of the case, and they really looked like they didn't give a shit. But that changed one day 
after Vincent filed a motion to have the case dismissed, he's talking to the judge and he cites all the reasons why it should be thrown out. And then the district attorney comes up and defends his actions. The, the quote, impromptu death scene investigation by saying it wasn't official. And then he said that he had arrived a half hour late to the scene. anyway. Oh my God. And that's when one of the local folksy country attorneys stood up and asked, quote, when the transcript did it state that the prosecutor was late and the D.A. didn't answer. So the attorney walked up and smacked the D.A. in the face with a copy of the transcript, hitting him so hard that he drew blood. Oh, my God. And then he followed up by throwing a large book. By the way, no need for a follow up. And then he followed up by throwing a large book at the DA before the bailiff wrestled him down into his seat. But then he still kept throwing books at the DA, so the bailiff had to hold his arms down. Oh, okay. (laughs) The number of things are popping up here. Where's he getting all the books? I mean, they must have books all over the table. Is this where the expression throw the book at you comes from? It might be. It It might have something to do with that. I mean... Well, who knows, Dave? Let's just say it is. After this, the DA uh, passed the case over uh, to a hotshot prosecutor who was clearly brought in by the insurance companies. The trial in the press became known as the windmill murder trial. So he must have fallen off a windmill. Mm-hmm. Every day, hundred, if he didn't, every crazy day, hundreds of locals start packing the, the courtroom. Okay. Uh, and they'd sit there in 100 degree heat for hours. The trial goes on, and slowly, everyone in the all the people turn against Vincent's clients. Okay. And townspeople started publicly saying that they would like to see Jenny Brown and her workers hung. Okay. In his closing remarks, Vincent spent three hours attacking the prosecutor for being in the pocket of the insurance companies and told him to apologize to Jenny Brown for accusing her of murder. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That really goes for it. That is just bold. That's really, I think most of the people that we talk about on this podcast are fence swingers. Yeah. That's a serious fence swinging. I mean, that's a real. And uh, beyond that, say you're sorry. Prosecutor attorney was apparently pissed because he got up and gave a six hour speech and whipped the crowd into a frenzy. He started by talking about American patriotism, and then he said. They were witnesses to the crime, even though there were none. And then he implored the citizens of Hanford to, quote, be prepared to take the law into your own hands. Oh, God. By this time, he had jumped up and was standing on the table, pointing at the audience, yelling, quote, now what are you going to do about it, gentlemen? What are you going to do about it? Wow. So that really happens. My closing statement is we need to tear these motherfuckers apart with our hands. I mean, so th- this th- this is really... <laughs> this happens. Because this, <laughs> this feels like a Tom Cruise movie preview. It does, but it's, it's, it's okay. happened. So the audience is just in a total fucking rage. Although they didn't kill anyone. Oh, the, they, uh, they, Dave, I didn't they, think they were going to kill anyone. They somehow stopped it. The next day, the jury declared all four guilty of murder. Okay, now, for something. Now the whole thing might have been swayed by the the hundreds of people screaming, "Kill them!" But right. So Vincent brought a gun with him uh, to the sentencing, but he didn't have to use it. Uh, and then the murder conviction was later overturned in an appeals court because of the insane closing arguments. Okay. They had a second trial in which Vincent got all four ranches acquitted. 
So the, the it got overturned because the how crazy the closing statement just because yeah, the, the guy's amount of fucking people standing on a table right. saying let's tear them apart. Right. Okay. Right. But you can't. Well, I mean, there, even though there's not many rules, there were some rules. I mean, I feel like that. I'm not okay with that rule. I think you should be allowed to. You should be allowed to jump out a table. So now Vincent has a bug up his ass about insurance companies. Okay. Because this is all put on by the insurance company, right? Right. So he started taking a lot of big injury cases, which put him up against insurance companies and big corporations. And after one a few times, he starts noticing that his cases would always go in front of the same three judges. Hmm. Curious. And in those cases, which he usually would win, the judge would then overturn the decision, claiming insufficient evidence. Oh, God. Did he find that alarming or strange? Well, then he also started looking into other stuff, and he found that most of the jurors were wealthy and pro-business, and there were no working-class guys. Did he find anything strange, though? Many, many of those guys on the jury worked for insurance companies, specifically the ones that were being sued at the time. So, he starts going after the media. He starts going to the media and going after this setup in the press. And he starts harassing the courts any way he could. And a few months later, working class people start getting put on juries for the first time. Okay. And Vincent Hallinan became known as the attorney who took down San Francisco's corrupt jury system. Okay. But the powers that be weren't done. Oh, boy. They never are, Dave. In the middle of a case, two drifters... It's never a good sign. <laughs> okay. Approached Vincent and and said they would be witnesses if he paid them. Mm. They had nothing to. They'd never. They were just gonna say they'd lie. They had nothing to do with it. They're just looking for a can of beans or whatever they did back then. We'll do it Drifters. for beans. Uh, we'll say anything for beans. <laughs> what do you want? So, like out of a ladle or just in a can? Oh man, a ladle'd be unbelievable, but a can is all I'm asking. But a ladle, oh, I'd feel like royalty. <laughs> so I'll say anything. All right, well, yeah. We'll what do you need me do, to say? Uh, just that you're a fucking idiot. All righty. Can't wait to get my mouth on that ladle. So Vincent passed on this great proposition, since that would be perjury. But then he gave him some lunch money, as they were drifter John, Uh-oh. and sent them off. Uh-oh. And then that day, when he shows up in court, there's the two drift- drifters who testified to a grand jury that Vincent had bribed them to lie. You're the one who's going to be begging for beans, Vincent. That motherfucker gave us lunch! Yeah. The two drifters then came back and asked him for another bribe, this time to go away. Wait. <laughs> the work on both ends. But wait, does so he... they lied? And now they're and now they're like, look, we won't do any more testifying. We're hungry us... again. Yeah, we. You know what? Now it's night time. We're hungry for another ah, dinner. So hungry. Uh, but this time, when they were when they were talking to Vincent, a cop was there who just happened to be trailing him, and Vincent was arrest, arrested for bribery. Jesus. But Vincent knew who the cop was. Okay. And then he was on the payroll of another attorney, so he hired that attorney. To be his attorney for the case, uh-huh. and then the cop changed his story, and the charges were dropped. Oh my god! <laughs> smart. That's smart. genius. It's fucking insane. That's smart. It is smart, but it's also crazy. It's crazy. It's definitely. It's all in. This guy moves with all. He goes all in. Yeah. In 1932, a former San Francisco cop, Frank Egan, uh, who had become the city's first public defender and was totally loved in the city, so much so that he he could have been mayor. 
But unfortunately, he ran into trouble. Did he tell people that? That sounds like a kind of sad story. People want him to be mayor. People were like, Frank, you gotta run! Okay. Frankie, when are you gonna run for mayor? I'm picturing it like a weird guy who's like, you know, I could have been the mayor. I could have been. People love me. I was real popular. So he's living this lavish lifestyle that he really can't afford on his salary. Okay. So he starts taking over the finances of several rich elderly women who, who, you know, needed help. What? He just starts Well, they're like widows or whatever, and they've got tons of cash, so he just, uh, I'll help you out. He's a respected man around town. He says he'll help them out. Um, Says he'll help invest their money and then use the money to take care of them, pay their bills and all that stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. But he was just taking all all the money. Right. He's just fucking grabbing it and running. And then he started having some of them killed. Oh, wait. Dave. Let's go above the fold when it's time. Inheritance. And and their life insurance. Okay, so he's killing women for money. Yeah, right. Okay, different than what I was picturing. So not not the normal mayoral behavior. No, no. I mean to think we almost had him a mayor. Yeah. So, one night, a woman Egan watched over was found dead in the street. Okay. And Egan called the insurance companies to start processing her uh, life insurance policies. Well, that's a real Kennedy move, huh? Like when, she's still on the street. Yeah, yeah, but we can probably get yeah, this going. Yeah, yeah, just let's let's get, get the numbers going. out, and then we'll check the pulse. Yeah, yeah, we'll get we'll get to you know we'll get to her body we'll, we'll later. Let's get the paper. The, vic- the, the victim is still breathing, ladies and gentlemen. The victim is still breathing. Can we and get it's the, me? Can we get the paperwork started? Good lord, <laughs> we've got one breathing victim here, and everyone's freaking out about old Daddy. <laughs> the police then called it murder and said they wanted to question Egan. At that point, Egan called the police and said. At that moment, he was being kidnapped by two men. <laughs> well, I got to run. I'm getting kidnapped by these guys. So I'm going to have to jump off. Come find me. They're light on specifics. Okay. Why'd you call? Uh, I'm getting kidnapped, and I just need you guys to find me. I got to go. I'm being so rude to the guys, though. They're waiting on me. They so I have you, to go. They let you call. I, I mean, life is a comedy of errors. I have to run. Find me, find me, find me, find me. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Hang up. I'm trying to make another call. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So he, he. I think you have to actually hit your down receiver because yeah. you're still there. Yeah. Go ahead and hang that up. So he goes into hiding, okay. and then his wife is worried that he might commit suicide, so she hires Vincent. Okay. Um, to track him down, which he did, and then he checked. Egan into a, a mental hospital saying he had a breakdown. Okay. And that's why he faked the whole kidnapping business. Mm, and okay. probably mur- murdered the ladies. <laughs> uh, I guess I, is he just trying to muddy the waters? Is that what he's doing? <laughs> I don't know. So Egan is in the, in the mental hospital for weeks. Police start putting together a case. And they're doing it so quickly that it's making Vincent very suspicious. Like It's like the quickest anybody's ever put together a murder case. Well, we're done. He's wondering how, how they could know so much so quickly after the murder. And then Vincent told the press the cops were after Egan because he was w- becoming way too powerful. Which turns out, a year before the murder, the police had bugged an office and heard Egan talking about killing the woman. Okay. But they never tried to stop it. Yeah, right. <laughs> they never, what a, I mean, don't play that they, tape. They never protected the woman. They just kind of let it happen. Oh, uh, the tape, no. Uh, and then she gets murdered. And then, and then 
they knew that these two cons were involved, and, and it turns out the, the two cons immediately admitted that they, they did it on Egan's order, and they were going to try and kidnap her or take her somewhere to kill her, but then she wouldn't get in the car, so they pummeled her in the head, and then they, and then they put her in the street and drove over, which, so, you know, you got to do. Not great ad-libbing. You got to make it look... <laughs> There's better audibles. So now, Let's go public with it. Now this city is furious that this city hero is a monster and they want him dead, right? But okay. Vincent, in the trial, manages to keep him off death row, um, just life in prison, even though he always said that he didn't do it. The okay. Guy, the guy never admitted to it. Now, just before the Egan case happened, Vincent had started dating Vivian Moore. Uh, she was 14 years younger. She was super hot. Boy, it is such a crazy time that when you say 14, I yeah, sometimes aren't ex- I'm not expecting years younger. I'm just what? expecting that's the age. Well, okay, so this is 1932. He was born in Okay, so she's no, she's not too young. You always got to check on that kind of stuff yeah, because when you say 14 years younger at this at this uh this year, you might be like, "Oh, she was 8." Yeah. So uh no, she's she's legal age. So uh She's unpredictable. She loves adventure. After the trial, Vivian and Vincent drove up to Reno and got married. And then they came back to the uh, at San Francisco, and police immediately arrested Vincent and forced him to serve a night in jail for contempt. So it's like his wedding night, and they're like, uh, fuck, "Why is he in contempt?" Wedding. It was something that happened in the past. Okay, probably punched a guy. Probably punched. Probably settled out of court. So Vincent, why well, uh, I ought to settle out of court with that guy? Um. This was begging them not to do it, but they did did it anyway. And in the FBI files on the couple, uh, J. Edgar Hoover described Vivian and Vincent's marriage as, quote, a case of one warped personality marrying another. Okay. Well, so J. Edgar J. Edgar Hoover is always a good voice of reason. <laughs> we, we should do him. Yeah. I, I know very little. Some odd, Shocker. It seems that there's some strange stuff there, apparently. Nah. Vincent didn't get much work after the Egan case because, obviously, he defended... A fucking monster. Right. right? Uh, But he owned some apartment buildings, and then Vivian started fixing them up, and then she went on to buy more buildings, and they became one of San Francisco's biggest landlords. Okay. But unlike other property owners, Vivian was happy to rent to African Americans. Okay. Vivian's rental income made the couple one of the wealthiest in San Francisco, and Vivian ended up being the real breadwinner, making multi-millions. Right. So they're fucking loaded. Okay. They bought a mansion in Ross, which is near where I grew up, which if you don't know, if you think of Marin as the whitest place on earth, Ross is the whitest place within the whitest place on earth. Oh, boy. So it's... It's super fucking It's the eye of the storm. (laughs) It is the eye of the storm. It's just full white all the time. (laughs) Um, So there they raised six uh, uh, boys. They often pissed off their Republican neighbors by hosting political fundraisers and pool parties where most of the guests were black. Okay. The neighbors had no idea the guests included progressive activists like W.E. Du Bois uh-huh. and Paul Robeson. Okay. So these are big fucking names. Right. Then. But they don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. But what brought the Hallinans real trouble was Vincent's defense of Harry Bridges. Bridges was an Australian immigrant who started the International Longshoreman, Longshore and Warehouse Union. And in 1934, he led a strike that shut down all the docks from San Francisco to San Diego, 
police ended up attacking the strikers and killed seven of them. Lord. Which was just standard for back then. Yeah, that's how you have a strike, right? How many of us are going to die? We're going on strike. Eh, Seven to 30. Then you'll stop. Uh, This led to a general strike in San Francisco with all the unions and all the people and completely shut down the city for four days. So Bridges becomes this hero in the labor movement, but an enemy to big business. And it was said when FDR was president, he knew what time Bridges had lunch every day. Like he was so watched over. Okay. I mean, did he actually want the information? He might. He might. What time? 1220, sir. Let me tell you something. I'm going to eat right, right when he does. What time's Bridget? Having, what what time's Bridget having lunch today? Well, it's hard for us to know when he's having lunch. Yesterday, he what had time? Ex- we don't know exactly when he's having lunch, but yesterday he had lunch at twelve twenty. Today we're expecting around twelve forty-five. What's he eating? He's having an egg salad sandwich. Okay, and- give me an egg salad sandwich at twelve forty-five, um, sir. If I may. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There are pressing issues that. Uh, What's going on with the sandwich? Are we getting that done? Yeah, I'll I'll get out of here in a second, and I'll I'll get into that. We have. We have some. I, I just. I'm worried that maybe you focus too much on. It's 12:45, right? That's the, that's the time that this guy's having the <laughs> sandwich. We, that, w- egg salad is that what you said? Okay, well let's get you the sandwich and then you can just eat it at 12:45, sir. Good talk. Did I tell you that if I don't eat an egg salad sandwich at the same time as him, time will fracture? Yep. Yeah. No. No. I got all your postcards. That you handed to me. I write. A, I can get a lot of words on those. Oh yeah, no, they are got a lot of. I, I, very, I tiny, write, I write tiny, small, tiny writing. I write small, tiny writing, and egg many, many egg salad. Okay. Uh, so he's his big hero. Now the Red Scare is happening, and he's labeled the communist. Bridges is, and in 1940, Congress passed the Alien Registration Act to deport aliens who were like. Well, not seen as not great for the government, mostly communists. Okay. Uh, and they added language specifically targeting bridges for deportation. Okay. Which he then spent years fighting in court and trying to prove he wasn't a communist, that he was just a union guy. And in 1945, Bridges became a U.S. citizen. But then three years later, the government said he had perjured himself by denying he was a communist. So he hired Vincent this time. Okay. How long until we go back to the time? I mean, we're we're very we're close. close when it, we go back to labeling people something so that you can try them completely illegally for nothing other than, other than just what you think they believe in their we're head. Super close. Vincent discussed uh, this with his family because if he took this case and started defending Bridges, they would just be fucking hated, right? And his whole family thought he should do it because it was the right thing to do. Boy. That Christmas, someone painted a hammer and sickle on their driveway. Oh, boy. Which the Vincents never washed off. Okay. Well, because they were like, it'll just get replaced. <laughs> Vincent learned that since 1934, why did they call them the Vincents? The, ha- the Han- Hallinans. Hallinans. Uh, Vincent learned that since 1934, the government had enlisted 125 witnesses to testify to Bridges' communist affiliation. And all of them were discredited at one time or another. <laughs> okay. So they were just hiring fucking snitches, 125 snitches, to say that a guy's communist. With even, examples or whatever. Yeah, just, he's just a union guy. Right. Usually, 
the guy, the people, the witnesses were former communists who had been forced. Oh, this coerced. is where it gets so sticky and weird <laughs> when you're like the leverage game where you're like, all right, for the thing that I'm not, I'll say that he is. So you believe I'm not, please. It's, it's never stopped. So they would pay them off or they would threaten to put them in prison or they would threaten to deport their families. And then these guys would all say that Bridges yeah, is a communist. Yeah, you turn over for sure. So Vincent learned this and he thought, well, he might be able to win this case. So the prosecuting attorney was the very successful George Donahue, who was brought in as a special attorney for the government. Eventually got his own talk show. He got Yeah, we're going to get to that later. He also married Exciting marries, chapter uh, in George's life. So Vincent Donahue already hated each other, and they were openly hostile to each other. Boy, for them, that for for Vincent, open hostility must be very, very open. (laughs) So they're sniping back and forth inside the courtroom and outside. It never stops. Vincent once threatened to kick Donahue's ass. Okay. But the problem was that Donahue could get away with anything while they're in court, but Vincent would always get punished because he's he's a communist. Right. Okay. Right. So a few days into the trial... The judge read a two-hour-long speech that ripped into Vincent, accusing him of purposely delaying the court. Okay. He then held Vincent in contempt and sentenced him to six months in jail. It's going to affect the case. To be served immediately. Oh, my God. So you're just like, wait, no. And the judge said he was taking Vincent off Bridges' case, which then there's a huge uproar on the court. And Bridges is like, no, I want my fucking attorney. So then the judge realizes he's a step too far and that instead of facing a mistrial, he, he said he agreed to delay Vincent's sentence until the until the trial's over. Okay. So now Vincent So is, now Vincent just wants to have the longest trial ever. Yeah, and he also doesn't give two fucks. He's like, Well, I'm going to fucking jail. Right. So I'm going out. So one morning he comes in and with <clears throat> puts a massive pile of documents on his desks. And then he apologizes to the court because he says he's going to ask that every single one of the prosecution's witnesses be arrested for perjury. Okay. And no one's testified yet. Okay. So he's going in big. (laughs) So his request is denied. Okay. Because no one's testified. Right. Right. So, okay. But it turns out... But this is also a guy who who was a lawyer and then went to school for it. Yeah. So order isn't a big player. But he also knows that in the past... Cases they've had against Bridges, that's all lies. Right. So he's just... Anyway, there's a guy named Lawrence Ross, who's a former communist, and he says that Bridges had been elected a Communist Party official in 1936. Guy's super confident, he's super quick-witted on the stand, but Vincent and his his, uh, assistant lawyer guy thinks there's something off. Yeah. So they they keep the questioning going in the court, because it's Friday, until... Until court's adjourned, and then they have the weekend to dig into this guy. Okay. So they investigated him over the weekend, and they found out that his whole story was fake. His name was not Ro- Lawrence Ross. His name was Lippman Rosenstein. That's basically the same thing. And he was born in Brooklyn, not Kentucky. Same thing. And he never went to the University of Kentucky. As a matter of fact, the school's president had sent a telegram to Vincent saying he had just told Prosecutor Donahue the exact same thing the week before. Okay. So they made up a guy. Sure. Like they made up a whole guy. Sure, but that's, just, but that's manifesting. <laughs> that's legal manifestation. It feels like... But if that's your first witness, by the way... Yeah. Not great. But I also feel like... I mean, if there's grounds for a mistrial, having a fake guy as your star prosecution witness is not great. No. You mean it should be a mistrial. 
or or the or the prosecuting attorney should be held in contempt, right? right. <clears throat> so Monday morning, the story's out. Everyone knows what's going on. So the judge allows Ross and Donahue to get on the witness stand and speak first. Okay, Ross. Apologize profusely. I forgot everything about me. First, you for have saying, to forgive me. I didn't know I wasn't that guy. I thought it was that guy. I will tell I'm you sorry. this: for two weeks, I've been living as that guy. Here's the thing about me: I don't know who me is. Do you know who you are? Does anybody know who anybody is? I hit my head when I was yep. working on my sink, and yep. I lived as that guy for two weeks. And, and then now, I hit my head again last night, and I remembered who I actually yeah, no, am. No, I'm not that guy. Okay. No. <laughs> plumbing. Boy, I'm such a goof. He also cited scripture. There he, we go. And he also said he was super scared of his anti-communist wife finding about, out about his past. Wait a minute. That's not real, I think. Okay. And then Donahue took the stand and said he didn't know about Ross's past until the weekend, and he promised it wouldn't happen again. Okay, this is the last guy who's totally made up. (laughs) We're not doing this anymore. We've learned. Your Honor, I, you know, when I I went to law school, it didn't say anything about not being able to have fake guys. How about this? I'm going to make a rule not just for us, for everybody. No more fake guys. No more fake guys. Okay, let's only go real guys. Hey, Vincent. Let's make a pact. You, I, because I don't know your angle. You might have been going fake guys you soon. Might, yeah, I bet you were going to go fake guys if I didn't first. Right? So we, 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 no more fake guys. So we're all in agreement. All right, we call Dracula to the I stand. Don't, I don't know what to say. Let's make court. We let's make court, and we call the Wolfman. So Vincent then stood up and ripped into Donald. Well, Santa Claus, please approach <laughs> the whatever it's called. <sighs> Your Honor, I call Batman. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so great. Uh, will Mary Poppins please approach? So Vincent stands up and rips into Donahue, saying he was, quote, more bankrupt than the witnesses are. He continued, quote, I have not seen such inferior merits or inferior qualities better rewarded since Caligula made a consul of his horse and Charles II knighted a beefsteak. <laughs> Damn, Dave. Oh! Whoa. And then he just drops the mic. Oh, uh, he drops the gavel. <clears throat> well, can I hear his uh, his roast joke one more time? Uh, I have not seen such inferior merits or inferior qualities better rewarded since Caligula <laughs> made a console of his horse and Charles II knighted a beefsteak. Good lord. I have no idea what the second one is in reference to. The second one's the only one I can mildly see. The first one, <laughs> I'm just like, what is he doing? He's ramping up. He's dying down. Uh, later, he called the defense witness who said on the stand that anyone who says that Bridges was a communist, quote, was a fucking liar. Whoa. All righty. <laughs> And remember, he's going. He's going to. Yeah. He's like, I'm already yeah. going to fucking jail for yeah. six months. So who gives a shit? <laughs> Boy, that is quite a. That's just kind of a. I mean, that's just a nice pocket to play in, right oh, there. It's the fucking best. Just once this is over, I'm going to jail for six months. So what do I care? Yeah. Um. Naturally, the jury found Bridges guilty of perjury. Obviously. But the media portrayed it as a travesty of justice. And that, uh, and then some of the government witnesses started recanting their testimony when the press started questioning them. And then uh, Vincent went to jail for six months. Okay. But before he went to jail, Vincent started his campaign for president of the United States. There we go. Of America. There we go. On the Progressive Party ticket against Dwight Eisenhower 
and Adelaide Stevenson in 1952. Adela- oh, sorry. The Progressive Party had been started by former Vice President Henry Wallace, who wasn't running because he was no longer anti-war. Okay. Vincent wasn't always politically active, but Vivian uh, had been for a long time, at least since they came into money. She's also a best-selling author. She wrote a book during the presidential campaign called My Wild Irish Rogues about her family, <laughs> okay, which is a huge hit. But then Doubleday, the publisher, refused to reprint it after they were pressured by the government. Why would they not want it? Why did they not want it? Pre- communists. Oh, right. Oh, right. I forgot they were fake communists. Associated with communists. Right. Of course. Right. Uh, so the fame uh, from the Egan trial and the Bridges trial made Vincent an actual viable candidate for the left. Okay. Um, even though he would for sure lose. The platform focused on getting out of the Korean War, protecting workers' rights, and giving full and equal rights to blacks. Well, I mean, good luck with that lunacy. <laughs> good lord! Excuse me, we got to be pragmatic. All There's right, nothing wrong with being pragmatic. All right, dreamer, and why don't we make it rain skittles? Come on now, <laughs> oh, purity. Uh, Charlotte Bass uh, was a black journalist, and she was picked to be the vice presidential candidate, the first black vice presidential candidate. What year is this? This is 1952. That's great. Well, weird progressive party. Yeah, who would have thought? Yeah. Uh, Vivian and their oldest son, Patrick, spoke at the Progressive Party's convention and accepted the presidential nominate on, uh, nomination on Vincent's behalf. Okay. Because he's in jail. He's, right, right, <laughs> right. Vincent kind of weird. Yeah, right? Well, kind I mean, of a weird thing to have to... That's a verbal hurdle. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one. Tough one to sort it's of... It's a tough one. Then if you were here tonight... If my father were not in prison right now... He would say, let's get out of Korea. And the corn's terrible. Corn is not... Don't eat the corn. It's watery. Uh, Vincent uh, finally gave his first campaign speech at the ferry station across from (laughs) prison McNeil Island in Tacoma when he was released. Wait, he decided to keep the prison backdrop? Yes. Okay. So he was so eager to speak, he got out, he's like, let's go. I'm not sure if he got out immediately and did it, but I bet he did. But anyway, supporters held up signs that said, from the big house to the White House. Okay. Sure. <laughs> sure. These are all winning slogans. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like, you can't go wrong with right. these. Uh, in his memoir, he wrote about leaving prison. Quote, I stood on the boat watching the grim citadel, a monument to man's inhumanity to man, receding in the morning mist as I moved toward freedom. At least, you son of a bitch, I thought... You're a better place because I went through you. Jesus. Yep. He, he really... I'm not crazy about his uh, yeah. prose. Uh, the campaign hit one problem after another. It started late because... Jail. Uh, he's in prison. Right. Uh, it was hard to book venues for rallies because no one wanted them there. Prison. Scheduled events would be canceled at the last minute. Sure. He pushed Stevenson and Eisenhower to debate him on TV over the Korean War, but they ignored him. Wait, there's TV now? Yeah. I have a great idea for a show. Oh! Is, you've heard about the cable car? Have everyone... What, those, those old things in San Francisco? Oh my god, I'm ruined. <laughs> I put everything into this. And now TV's finally here and the how, cable car's... How old are you? I'm 109. <laughs> Jesus I'm a, Christ, well, get out of here. I can't. I just... 
Well, then lie down or something. Just stop talking. Again, it hurts when I lie down. It feels like needles. Listen, I need someone to buy my show. <laughs> oh, I, You'll never guess who I've cast. Smithy Weston. Uh, the cowboy? He's been dead for 20 years. Yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, my God. It's over. Why didn't you get a job? Ah, put everything in my cable car show! Okay. Want to buy a watch? Can I go on? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um... Uh, so Vincent came in third in the election with 141,000 votes, which okay. is not, it's not good. That's close. Um, <laughs> he might have done better if he wasn't blocked from ballots in a bunch of states. I don't think that affects things. <laughs> the government then, cha- then charged Vincent and Vivian with tax evasion. Cool. So they're having a good run. J. Edgar Hoover had been building the case against them for seven years, starting right around the time when Vincent started representing Bridges. Interesting how that happened. Uh, the Hallinans hadn't done anything different than any other uh, wealthy person and it had all been suggested by their accountants who did it all the time but it was illegal basically he had his parents on the payroll okay and they're like you can't do that um so it's illegal but it's never prosecuted so they prosecuted them sure and since it was their first infraction nobody goes to jail in that circumstance let me guess um they should have been allowed to cut a deal Vince was found guilty uh, thirty-six thousand was how much he said he evaded, and he was given eighteen months in prison. Jesus! Don't defend the communist. This time in jail, Vincent had to live with the general population, but he quickly became a father figure to the inmates, helping them with cases and getting them, uh, getting the warden to desegregate the cafeteria. He came out believing there were too many people in jail on drug charges. From then on, Vincent became a big proponent of drug reform and legalization. He was released from prison in 1956. Okay. But then after he, he was released, he lost his license to practice for three years. So he wrote and published a memoir. Uh, he traveled all over the world with Vivian. They went to Cuba, China, and Russia. Okay. Now they're just rubbing it in. Yeah. In, Ru- <laughs> in Russia, he saw that there was no poverty and everyone was taken care of. And he also appreciated the country's legal system, which he said was much better and more fair than the United States. Okay. And then when they came home, Vivian and Vincent wrote and published a pamphlet called Clash of Cultures about, about the USSR. Okay. But throughout the 50s, the Vincent family were harassed brutally and often. Their outspoken hate of the Korean War and their uh, very pro-views toward Russia made them a target. They would get phoned in threats. One anonymous caller demanded $5,000 or, quote, death would be visiting their house. Jesus. That's a weird death threat. Nah, I like it. <laughs> hey, I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm going to fucking blow up your fucking house. Unless I got $5,000. I mean, it is one. It is such a mafioso. It's like a mob threat. Yeah. So uh, give us two grand a month and you can still make pizza. What's that? Yeah, uh, you owe us $2,000 a month or, uh, or we kill you and you don't get to make pizza. It's called a, uh, yeah, you get to make fucking pizza tax or whatever. There's <laughs> the money, you dolt. Um, his sons are frequently called commie sons of bitches and beaten up. 
Patrick was severely beaten at a drive-in by three Marines who had just come back from Korea. They broke several of his bones, one in his right arm, uh, ripped through the skin. He was only 16 at the time. The Marin County District Attorney told Vivian he couldn't charge the three attackers because no jury in the county would rule in favor of a Hallinan. Good Lord. That is... That's... That's when you know you're screwed. Like, when they're just like, nah, because of what someone might do, for sure. But these are the Hallinans. Yeah, right. So Vincent built a boxing gym on their property and hired a champion boxer to train them. Okay, interesting angle. Vivian didn't like the idea, but Vincent always told her, quote, the chief trouble with liberals is that they hope to accomplish everything with talk. I'll see you later, Dave. And the boys learned how to box. Okay. Five of them went on to win boxing championships in college. Their fighting skills made them fearless, and from then on, when any bully called the boys a name, they got the living shit kicked out of them. All righty. Fair. <laughs> so, that's like, that. There's nothing, there's nothing that happens to them. They're like, all right, you got me. Yeah. There's nothing. No. There's no you got me in this family. No. All right. I'm sorry. Why don't your boys go settle it out of court? Yeah, we're going to go settle out of court. Yeah, let's go settle out of court. Come on, everyone. The boys are down there. They're settling out of court. All right. I want a clean settling out of court. No funny business. Nothing below the belt. Slap gloves and let's settle out of court. I'm going to hit him in the dick, Dad. No, 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 no. The son that made a real name for himself as a fighter was Terrence. He was the second oldest. Uh, He would become commonly known as K.O., the abbreviation for a knockout. Uh-huh. He had many knockouts in his boxing career, and he even sparred with Cassius Clay in the 1960 uh, Olympic boxing uh, eliminations. Okay. K.O. enjoyed fighting so much that it led uh, to a criminal record. His first arrest when he was 17, after he and Patrick fought three Coast Guard guys, Coast Guardsmen <laughs> who were harassing them. The boys were outnumbered, and the Coast Guard guys were much older, but they still beat the living shit out of them. Okay. Uh, the two Hallinans were then picked up on robbery charges because they took the Coast Guardsmen's beer after the fight. <laughs> Come on. That's just pride. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's you not illegal. That's not a theft. You get the beer. You get the beer. You get the beer. Who you absolutely know get that? the beer. Yeah. In 1959, K.O. would be indicted for breaking a man's jaw at a bowling alley. His name's K.O. Yeah. During the Civil Rights Movement, K.O. tried to sign up uh, to be a freedom fighter, but was turned down because he had uh, beaten someone up at a peace march. (laughs) Just, okay. I mean, there's a couple flags. Uh, the harassment of the Hallinans became even more ugly in uh, 1956. Vivian was at home alone, and three drunk men broke in and tried to rape her. One of them ripped off her nightgown, which left her standing there naked. She had just undergone surgery for ovarian cancer, and her scar was raw and red. And they stared at her. And as they did, Vivian told them, quote, Boys, I have the cancer. It's contagious. You don't want to catch it, do you? Oh, so they didn't touch her. Oh, that's so... I mean, that's terrible. But that is that moment when you're just like, they're idiot apes. <laughs> yeah, boys, I would love to have a party with you, but unfortunately, you'd get the cancer. Oh, yeah, you got it for sure? Oh, man. Well, hmm, I guess. I well, guess we don't want to get cancer. That's out. Yeah, all right. Well, then you guys should probably get out of here. Sorry about that. Get out of where? Uh, my home. I... Yep, okay. All right. See you guys. Yep. 
Bye, my mom. Are you my mom? I like this. So the men end, uh, uh, end up leaving her alone, and after a few hours of holding her hostage, they, they drove off. When Patrick learned about what happened, and that one of the men was one of the Marines who... Cancer's had, contagious? ...who had beaten him up at the drive-in years before... Wait, wait, say that again? So one of the guys that did this was one of the same guys that beat up the kid at the drive-in. Uh, oh, okay. So he comes home, finds us out, grabs a thirty-eight, and goes out looking for him to kill him. Oh, boy. But the cops captured the three guys before Patrick could. Only one of them was charged. Wait, Vincent, right? Before or no Patrick, Pat, no Patrick, okay, one of the right. sons. Sorry, right, right. Only one of the guys who broke in was charged out of the three. Okay, uh, he, and he got a year in jail. Jaywalking. You know what? You've been bad. He crossed Tommy. the street illegally towards the attempted rape. Look, we would put you in jail for longer, but you clearly got cancer now. <laughs> oh man. These attacks did not stop Vivian and the boys from participating in civil uh, rights protests. In the 1960s, the boys helped found the W.E.B. Du Bois Club of America, a nationwide organization that promoted progressive values at colleges. The right painted them as being communists. That's so weird. It's almost like that still. Then Senator Richard Nixon complained to the press that the... Du Bois Club of America sounded too much like the Boys Club of America. People will get confused. Because Du Bois pronounces his name Du Bois. Yeah. Reckless. The Justice Department accused the clubs of being communists, and their headquarters in San Francisco were then bombed. They were, they were empty at the time. So this, I mean, this really is a time where, like, Language was so powerful and used to manipulate so easily. It's also so fucking never happens anymore. The fucking fucking fear of of if if your if your system of government is fucking awesome, then why do you give a shit if communists are walking around? You should be able to just beat them with free speech. What are you fucking worried about, Uh, Dave? I think I know what they're worried about. Yeah, Vivian became a passionate civil rights activist. And with her sons, protested San Francisco businesses with racist hiring practices like Lucky Supermarkets, Mel's Drive-In, and car dealerships. During one protest, uh, they were all arrested for disturbing the peace. Vincent cheered them on as they were being taken away. Vivian spent 30 days in jail, which she described as being, quote, very dull. That's the outstanding thing about it. It is so boring. (laughs) The Vincents continued to be the face of progressive politics in San Francisco, and many came to appreciate what they were fighting for. The family would later be credited for turning the Bay Area into the liberal bastion it is today. In 1961, Vincent sued the Catholic Church for fraud. Wow. That's quite a Goliath. (laughs) Good Lord. Uh, the suit was convoluted. I'm going to uh, go after Catholicism. I'm going to hit the whole fucking thing. Yeah. Go on for the big boys. So the suit was convoluted, but it still had merit. This guy, Anthony Supple, who was a former grand jury consultant for uh, San Francisco, left $200,000 to the church after he died. He also took his grandnephew out of his will. Hmm. So the grandnephew sued the estate. Okay. And Vincent, I don't understand this part, but Vincent had KO by a stake in the grand nephew's claim. So I'm not sure how what that means buying a stake in it, but that's how they got kind of like back end. I don't, I don't really get. It. I guess you can, I guess you can buy a part of an inheritance if if they win or something. It sounds like it sounds it very sounds American. Like it sounds like sounds legal. Very, 
old legal back end. It sounds very American. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, so this, but this gave uh, just cause for Vincent to file the suit of fraud. Now, apparently, Vincent's suit against, against the church was the fight he had always wanted. He called himself a militant atheist and blamed the church for a quote barren, joyless childhood. Well, <laughs> fair. He had left the church in his twenties after one of his sisters became a nun. Okay. Annie, who was a sister who hated him, convinced uh, his his other sister to become a nun, which infuriated Vincent. He felt that uh, the nun sister was a genius who could do anything she wanted, and she was just wasting her uh, life by being a nun. He wanted none of this. Now, Annie testified against him in the church case. She trashed Vincent for his lack of faith while she was on the stand and said that, quote, the church knew he was a communist. Okay. Vincent argued that the church taught Supple to, quote, buy his way into heaven by leaving money to the church, which he said was fraud because church officials couldn't actually prove that heaven, hell, and purgatory existed. Man, how great is this trial? This is the best. Yeah. This is the best fucking trial. Prove God's real. So, so you say there's heaven, yeah? Yes. And then people give you money to get, uh, you know, it's part of the church. You give money. You God give, smiles upon to, the church. So where is the heaven? Uh, so people get, a, they, they get, a, they get to the paying for this. Where, where is the, where is the heavens in those clouds? Where, but could you show me since people are going there? There. You, that's the roof, sir. The, the God's up there. God just communicates to us in mysterious ways, sir. So Vincent wanted the church to tell him exactly where heaven, hell, and purgatory were. He told reporters, quote, if the church can point out exactly where this place hell, <laughs> exactly where this place hell is, perhaps we can get someone to drop an H-bomb on it. What a great thing for mankind that would be. He ain't wrong. When the San Francisco archbishop uh, took the stand, Vincent pulled out a map of the universe and asked... <laughs> <laughs> Show me where on this map. <laughs> Ask the bishop to locate heaven. Right here, right here, sir. Saturn. Where are you looking? <laughs> the judge ruled that the witness did not have to answer. You don't have to point out where hell is on that map of the galaxy, sir. Oh, but I want to. <laughs> Vincent lost over and over again in court, but he kept appealing and judges kept hearing his case. It went on for seven years. He took the fight all the way to the Supreme Court, but he lost. Though he was happy that the church never saw one cent of Supple's money during these seven years, he kept the suit alive and that they had to keep it in a trust. Okay. Vincent continued to settle vendettas. He became uh, revered by the young liberal population in the Bay Area and started using that popularity to take revenge on his enemies who still had power. When a crooked prosecutor was picked up for a judicial appointment, Vincent wrote a public letter challenging it and the appointment was taken away. When that same prosecutor ran to be a judge, Vincent got the trial lawyer association to back the other candidate who won. Okay. When it came to vendettas, Vincent had no problem doing anything against his enemies as long as it succeeded. Thomas Mellon was a San Francisco police commissioner who Vincent had hated since the protests against the House Un-American Activities Committee's hearings in 1960. Mellon had ordered fire hoses turned onto the protesters. At the time, Vincent had begged him not to, and Mellon told him, quote, You look after all the Reds, and I'll look after San Francisco. Eh. Vincent then found out that Mellon lived in Marin County, which broke San Francisco's rule that commissioners had to live within city limits. <laughs> Man, leave this guy alone. 
And Vincent went to the press, and Mellon was forced to step down. I mean, don't fuck. Either me. way, even step down or make a move. I mean, making someone move is really funny no, too. That's great. But yeah, Vince, out. Vincent was so obsessed with revenge that he once ran against a judge who had cited him for contempt just to give him a hard time. I'll run against him. <laughs> he had no chance of winning, but ran anyway to force the judge to work for the seat. After the campaign, he told a bunch of other attorneys to run against judges they hate because, quote, it scares the hell out of them. That's great. That should happen more. His son, Ko decided to become a lawyer around this time. Okay. After the first San Francisco, uh, after the first time the San Francisco bar, sorry, after the f- at first the San Francisco bar denied his application and blamed his rejection on both his father's reputation and his criminal record. Vincent, of course, fought this in court. Sure. And it's despite it looking like a total lost cause, he won. <laughs> okay. But then Ko lost his his license not long after getting into the bar. Hmm. How? Uh, his first his first clients were protesters. And then he would protest himself. During a protest, K.O. saw a woman uh, being beaten savagely by a a riot cop with a baton, and he stepped in, and he was hit in the head and left with a face covered in blood. He got 10 stitches and was charged with interfering with police. So K.O. is now looking at uh, disbarment with his brand new career, and Vincent represented him, saying K.O., quote, deserved the best, and they won. (laughs) Man, it's got to be like, so you're just like, get them out of the legal system, please. And They're they, defending each other. And then they sued the police. Okay. And they won. Oh, my God. <laughs> For a short while, Kayo and Vincent represented Patty Hearst in her bank robbery trial. Wow. They said they could win if their defense centered on the fact that Patty was drugged to the point of being out of her mind. Hearst's dad, whose newspapers often ran anti-Vincent articles hated the strategy and feared it would embarrass the family. Feared it would embarrass the family. Yep. Well, you don't After want... what the fucking... After what... You don't she wanna... robbed a bank. She's in the fucking SLA. Like, what? Bad optics. Oh, well, not drugs. Bad optics, Dave. You don't want to have that in the mix. And drugs? They'll have a field day. So Hearst hired uh, another famous attorney, F. Lee Bailey. Oh, boy. Who lost and patty went to prison vincent never worked uh on a massive trial again but he managed to stay in the papers for example when he was 73 he played for the san francisco bats a professional rugby team the bats <laughs> he's 73 we play in the dark uh all right let, rugby is not a sport no 73 year olds no, should be playing no fuck no oh we just do like tackles the scrums are pretty brutal uh, the uh, I think Eddie's dead in the scrum. <laughs> Eddie's dead in the scrum. His age uh, at that uh, time playing rugby became the subject of a Ripley's Believe It or Not comic. <laughs> wow, oh, that's loaded. Four years later, when he was walking uh, to work, uh, seventy-seven, three men jumped him, pushed him into a doorway, and tried to mug him. Instead of giving in, Vincent fought them. Jesus. One had a knife, another had a cane. Good lord. And uh, though he got a little bit bloodied, Vincent sent them running off. Wow. Instead of calling the police or going home, he kept walking seven miles to work and then called the newspapers and told them what he had done. Oh, that's a weird order. He told every reporter there were two important facts to get straight. His name was Vincent, and he won. <laughs> <laughs> Repeat it back to me. Your name is Vincent. And the other one? You won. Okay. All right. 
Uh, Vivian wasn't much different. She was well, a well-known progressive activist. While protesting in Chile, she was tear-gassed. She was 77 at the time. Oh, man. K.O. then went into politics, winning a seat on San Francisco's Board of Supervisors, which he held for a few terms. Vincent Hallinan died uh, in 1992 at the age of 95. For his obituary, K.O. recounted the last time Vincent punched a rival attorney. Vincent was in his 90s, and his hands were pretty gnarled and useless, so he molded one into a fist. Oh, no! And then punched the other guy. Wow! What? So he's made of clay? Well, he can't do it on its own, but he the can mold it. The idea that you're he just like, mold hold on. You hold on, you little motherfucker. Once I turn this into oh, a fist. Oh, the fourth figure's going down. There we go. That fire we go. <laughs> you out of your son of a bitch. He left 20 minutes ago. K.O. Uh, uh, went on to serve two terms as San Francisco's district attorney before being beaten out by now Senator Kamala Harris. D.A.K.O.? Yep. Okay, so Kamala Harris. Patrick, the oldest of the six boys, became a successful defense attorney. In 1995, the feds went after him for helping a former client start a $150 million a year pot smuggling business. The drug dealer turned on Patrick, and the trial was seen as defense attorneys as being an attempt to dissuade attorneys from aggressively defending their clients. But Patrick won. Because you could do that to any attorney. Right. You could say you're in fucking cahoots. Right. So they were just... It's a, it, an important W. Critics said afterward the prosecution had not learned about Patrick's reputation before the trial. Yeah, his name's K.O. Well, I mean, no, he's related to K.O. Yeah, he's related to K.O. Yeah. Uh, by then, he and the rest of the Hallinans were beloved. I am son of Vincent, brother of K.O. <laughs> <laughs> the whole family's beloved, especially amongst lawyers in the Bay Area. Vivian died in 1999 at the age of 88. Her obituaries appeared in the New York Times and other major newspapers where she was described as uh, a, a huge progressive activist. Uh, when she uh, died, she was honored uh, by Congress. How about those motherfuckers? It's kind of a badass gene pool. That is a badass gene pool, isn't it? Yeah, across the board. I, I haven't been able to look, but I, I was looking, trying to find videos of them, of which there really aren't any. But um, so when I put in, I put in his name, it said the Hallen and Boys of Drake, which is a high school I went to two for two years, and it was them. It was two kids in Marin playing football, which is where they lived. Right. And and Ross is right near Marin Catholic, so I'm wondering if. Or right is near close to Drake, so I'm wondering if, if they. If you had, I'm wondering if those kids, if he now has kids that are great football, yeah. or grandkids that are not great football, great grandkids that are not good football players, whatever it is, whatever's related to or him, they're, they're knocking totally, people out. Just totally unrelated, but I just thought that was interesting. Don't touch my passport. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, truly, like that. I think that is the thing that I keep waiting to sort of see kick into gear in America at this point is when people are. You know, when they really, when you really are fed up enough, because the idea of like commu- the communist label is so arbitrary. It is, oh it is, I mean, it's like labeling, like you, you can't, there's, it's unprovable. So you, you almost have to prove, 
You have to prove that you're not something that they can't prove you are. Yeah. And when we get to that point, it's going to be interesting to see how people step up and how much shit oh, we're that, willing to that's take. That's totally coming back. The whole red scare is back. But how are we going to handle it? Not well. Yeah, we're it not going to handle it well. It never fucking handled well. That's why this whole red scare thing is like people don't know where that's going. It's going to bad fucking places. It always does. Yeah. That's our history. We take shit and, and do bad things with it. It's gonna be fun. Isn't it crazy how good it worked out for a while? What? I mean, this plant, like the the, the amount of uh, terribleness and corruption. For a while, it wasn't knocking at the back door. Oh yeah, yeah. And now we we've really got there. these chickens, and we're like, why are they all coming home so fast? <laughs> They're driving the roost mobile. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, all right. well, we tried. We tried. We'll sign Jose. Oh, we'll be in uh, Charlotte and Oh, wait, let me tell Asheville you wait, let, let, this this weekend. Let me tell you one little story Thursday real night, quick Charlotte. at the end. No, Friday night, Charlotte. So my dad was Thursday in night. town. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut off that. Thursday night, Charlotte. Yeah. Shut up already. All right, go. So my dad was in town this weekend, and I went out to have uh, dinner with him and my brother last night. And uh first thing he says when he sees me is he goes, so I understand your mother's on the dollop now. <laughs> My divorced parents, my dad has allowed. And he was like, no joke, going like, look, I'm not asking to sit in for a whole episode. He was like, he made it sound like we were like, welcome to the dollop with Dave, Gareth, and Gareth's mom, Pam. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, he was so like, look, I just, Holy shit. next time I'm here, I was like, dude, it just worked out randomly. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to be iced out. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right, that's it. All right, that's good. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this this podcast. Uh, Listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it. After it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun half hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help 